Don Whittington, if you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? A lot of fun. Boom. Damn. <laughs> Damn. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. Season 2. I'm Ryan Eversley. And I am his uh, lesser co-host, Sean Heckman. Good, good. I like this. Yeah, this I know. You, of course, you imagine that. 105 West. Okay, great. So, uh, the sounds you're hearing is us trying to get to the LAX airport because we are wrapping up a 40-day journey that took us across 29 states for 12,000 miles in a Honda Odyssey provided by Honda with uh, what tires, Ryan? Continental tires. Cross contact Alex 20s. So, uh, this is one of our favorite episodes, I think. Yeah, it, definitely one of our biggest scores, right, if you want to go right. there. So, uh, we were lucky enough to get down to Fort Lauderdale and meet up with none other than Don Whittington. Now, uh, here's, here's a little bit of backstory on 105 West. Here's a little bit of backstory on Don Whittington for those who don't know. Uh, Don was part of this influx of, of funded drivers that showed up in the 1980s, late 1970s. Uh, and Don raced along with his, uh, with his brother Bill. Yeah. Uh, the Whittington brothers raced everything. Yeah. They, they showed up, they go out and they, they race Indy cars. They ran stock cars, they run sports cars. They won the 1979 Le Mans 24 Overall, yeah. with uh, Klaus Ludwig, That's right. Don would argue that they were pretty much pro-level talents, which they clearly were, but they were still in, in the modern-day kind of concept of they were funded drivers right. going against factory efforts, and they go out and win. And actually, Don's got an awesome story does. about uh, how he went a long way to, to help make sure that they won that race. Um, but uh, anyway, goes out. Finished, according to Wikipedia, sixth in the Indy 500. He would be happy to correct us and tell us uh, that he finished fifth in the Indy 500. Uh, been in it all, seen it all. The, 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 the dude could drive, that's for sure. Yeah. But he was part of this influx of guys that kind of showed up eh, sort of out of nowhere in the 80s and just were buying race cars left and right and somehow could afford all of it. Don eventually would go to jail for 18 months uh, for pleading guilty to uh, money laundering, received 18 months. Uh, when he got out, kind of disappeared from racing a little bit, but uh, uh, he has since gone on to run a private airport out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, WorldJet, uh, which he still owns and operates today. Um, and that's kind of his main day job. He still gets out and races dirt tracks and, and uh, off-road stuff and still goes out and has fun. But uh, his day job is, again, running a private airport out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Right. So, um, but the real story with Don was the process of getting him. Yeah. You know, when we first thought about season two months ago, we had a couple of guys. We were like, man, it'd be really great if we get this person. And to Sean's credit, he was like, what about Don Whittington? And I thought, oh, God, yeah, of course. You know, I grew up in an IMSA household. So the Whittington name, Randy Lanier, and then my dad's tie to it was he was a crew chief for John Paul Jr., John Paul Sr. And all of those guys went to jail or were accused of different times of, money laundering, marijuana smuggling, things of that nature. So 
that's a big deal in the world of sports car racing history of how that was, uh, you know, a normal thing. So when Sean goes, hey, what about Don Whittington? I'm thinking, absolutely, how do we get him? So I cold emailed WorldJet, right. the company he currently owns and operates. I don't hear anything. This was months ago. A few weeks go by. I'm like, I'll write him again, just in case I write him. Sure enough, that day, I get a call from a Fort Lauderdale number. Right. And Don Whittington's on the line. Could not have been cooler, actually. Yeah. Super friendly. I kind of explained what the podcast is all about. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, you and call me. Yeah. Yeah, you call me excited. Yeah. You don't call me. No. Like, if you call me, it's because we have to, we pre-discussed, like, yeah. hey, we need to do a thing or whatever. So, so to get a random call from Heckman's like, uh-oh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> again, and to put that in context, like, loved most of our guests that we've had on. <laughs> most of, most our, of guests. our guests. I've been very, very happy with. When we book somebody, Ryan gets an email, maybe a text message. And vice versa. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, we got this guy. Right. I've never called you right. excited about the fact we just got somebody. Yeah. But when 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 Don Whittington, which we now call Donnie Dubs. Donnie Dubs. When Donnie Dubs calls, I get pretty giggly about yeah, it. Like, right. Oh, we got Don Whittington. Yeah. You would, like, during the process while we were on the road, you would show me your phone when he would be calling back. I'm like, Don Whittington's Don calling Don Whittington's me. calling me. <laughs> so very, very excited about this. So anyway, so here's the thing. Here, The process of getting a hold of Don was I call usually doesn't pick up and right. then i get a call back from him every call is less than a minute uh <laughs> and uh and that's the end of it and so it, this is this was the process like i was terrified he was gonna flake i just had right. this feeling he was gonna flake on us uh because why would he give us a podcast sure. and so like he doesn't know us and so i always figured he was gonna flake so every two weeks i'm calling and reconfirming like hey we're gonna be in town in this general idea you know i mean we're good about keeping up with everybody about our our, our schedule but it's tough because we don't actually know what our schedule is until days before the way it, it moves around so much so every couple weeks don we're gonna be we're gonna be here in this time you good you know yeah be good yeah one minute phone call or less <laughs> and uh anyway so he, he he keeps calling and we're we're good so uh so you know we get a week out and it's pretty real at this point. Yeah. Like we're going to get Don Whittington, and, and we're excited about this. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the very specifics of the exact time and date start to get closer and closer. So um, the uh, the interview was on a, was set for a Thursday. Tuesday, you give them a call just to reconfirm, like, hey, what you're doing to all the guests, whether it's a text message, email, or whatnot, and, and you reach out to Donnie Dubs. And you're like, hey, uh, just making sure Thursday, you know, roughly lunchtime or afternoon would be okay, you know, as we discussed. And and then he he calls you back. Yep. And in less, less than a minute. Less than a minute. And uh, he calls me back, and he's like, yeah, I'm not. I'll probably be in Jacksonville Thursday. And we're like, but, oh, oh, no. yeah, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be around. Like, literally says, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be around. Which, just the air out of our yeah, balloon. For just, anyone oh, who's oh. ever really tried to get a guest they've been excited about, for anyone who's ever tried to like ask out a ask hot out chick, a hot chick and, <laughs> and like, like maybe you're like, you know, that's a no. Right. You yeah, know, I'll think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, ah, oh, that's not, that's not going. Anywhere. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, for any racing driver trying to get a ride, yeah, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> that's a good point. We all know that. Ah, you know, I'll get back to you. It means a no. Right. So he, when he says, I'm not sure if I'm going to be around, it's like, oh, well, we tried. It's, it's not going to happen. So like, I hang up all deflated. Ryan, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. I know it's not going to happen. Right. But but he said, but he said, call back the next day, and we'll try and do it. So I uh, so I call back uh, on Wednesday. He calls me uh, very briefly. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to be around tomorrow. Uh, I'll be in Jacksonville in the morning. Right. Uh, but maybe I'll be around in the afternoon. I'm like, oh. Actually, Jacksonville might work because that very day we were going to St. Augustine, Florida to visit Hurley Haywood. 
Right. And uh, in Jacksonville and in St. Augustine are pretty close to each other. So I'm like, actually, we'll be in Jacksonville. We can if you make that work for breakfast. That'd yeah. be great. Like, oh, okay, maybe. I'll call you back in two hours. Right. So now we have to go have dinner with Hurley Haywood. Hurley Haywood. And, and it's like four o'clock, so we're having like a six o'clock. We're like, great, right? As we sit down, is when he's it's scheduled when he's to call, call us back if he's going to call us back. Yeah. And we literally said to each other a couple of times, like, we'll never hear from him again. Yeah. <laughs> you it. know, like so that's he's, it. He's out. He's not. Yeah. Right. Uh, but if he, if Don Whittington calls in the middle of a Hurley Haywood interview, we're that's actually it. kind of awesome. <laughs> we're <man>. answering <laughs> it. So, hold on, Hurl. Got to answer this one. So, uh, so he doesn't call back. So right. it's now Wednesday night. Now we're in a very weird predicament because we, Friday. We have to be in Fort Worth, Texas. Right. Fort Worth, Texas, from, whether it's from Jacksonville or from Fort Lauderdale, it's a 17 to a 19-hour drive. Yes. So if we don't have to be in Florida on Thursday, we're going Yeah, we'll get some of the drive out of the way. get some of the drive out of the way. And now we're in this tricky position where it's clear if Don Whittington happens, it's going to be a last minute. All right, let's go. Yeah. And so we need to kind of be ready for that. Meanwhile, there's another guest who we've been trying to get a hold of, and he's been very vague about his availability, not answering back a lot of emails, and that was Randy Lanier. Right. And again... Equally you, as exciting as Don Whittington for you, us. You can hear the full Randy Lanier episode. Randy's episode is awesome, and he's very forthcoming in a lot of stuff. But leading up to that, we weren't sure if we were going to get him. Most of the uh, conversations with him were, were over email, and, and we didn't hear loose. back very reliably. Right. So we just had no idea if we were ever going to hear from him. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's like, yeah. He writes back, Randy, and says, yeah, I'll be around Thursday afternoon. And we're like, holy oh, shit. In <laughs> one afternoon, if everything worked out, we could have Don Whittington and Randy Lanier all in one evening. Right. And then we have to drive 19 hours to Fort Worth, Texas. To get Eddie Gossage, yeah. who we wanted. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so what do we do? Uh, so here's the thing. We could get a call that morning from Don Whittington saying he's in Jacksonville. We could get a call from Don Whittington saying, yeah, meet me in Fort Lauderdale. Or just never hear from him Or just him never hear from him again. Randy Lanier, also in Fort Lauderdale area. But we're not 100% sure if he's going to flake. Do, so do we just say screw it and head to Texas? The yeah. problem is we really, really want these guys. Oh, God. Like, they were, like all we could think about yeah. <laughs> the whole season. And uh, we could go down to the Fort Lauderdale area. But one, it's like a four-hour drive from St. Augustine. Right. The other thing is what happens if Don Whittington called and says, well, I'm in Jacksonville. What are you going to do? Yeah. So we decide... What we're going to do is stay in Daytona Beach. As long as we can. Yeah. And uh, Daytona Beach is kind of a good halfway point where if somebody says, hey, I'm in Jacksonville, come here now. Right. We can get there in a reasonable time. If Fort Lauderdale happens, it's not that far of a drive. So it's a good place to be. But, again, we have a 19-hour drive ahead of us. We've got to be in Texas by the next that by that Friday afternoon, right. which is literally, at this point, 36 hours away. Yes. So, uh, so. Our intention is if we don't hear from anybody, we're going to sleep in as late as possible on Thursday yeah. because we know we're driving through the night. we got to be safe. Most likely, yeah. And so, uh, but at the same time, I know Don Whittington can call me at any second and be like, I'm in Jacksonville. Where are you going? Where are you at? Yeah, like, why aren't you here yet? Yeah. Right. So, uh, so 6 a.m. Thursday. Nothing. 7 a.m. Thursday. Nothing. 8 a.m. Thursday. Still nothing. Clearly, he's not calling. He's, he's flaking. Don Whittington's not going to happen. Accept it. So, we're trying to sleep. Just get a couple more and hours. Relax. And, and at this point, we're, we're getting Randy Lanier. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, we're getting Randy Lanier. We know we have to drive to Fort Lauderdale. But if he's going to be in Jacksonville, we got to at least get like a two-hour window to give him some time because we really want to get him. Yeah. And at like 1030, I'm literally like, cool, I'm going to hop in the shower. And then, I, you know, we get out of here. And like as I'm about to close the door, Sean's like phone starts ringing. And because we're waiting on this call, I like I hear the phone ring. I'm like, oh. <gasps> 
And yep. so I come out and he's like holding the phone up and it's Don Whittington. And we're like, oh, he's oh calling. God. Oh, shit. What do we do? So we're like, at the same time, we had the same idea, which is let it go to voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> that way we have the record. At least, at least when he bails, we have like, hey, guys, it's Don. I can't make it. We can at least play that on the show yeah. and people will know we tried. Be legit. Yeah. So we get the voicemail, which he left, and we were, su- we were surprised by that. Because every call was less than a minute. Right. And so we get the voicemail. We... We call him back, and he's like, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm in. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, where are you? Yeah. Like, the Jacksonville thing never existed. Like we never discussed this We're at like, all. wait, like wait. This you, was the plan the uh, whole time. Okay. So uh, so we do the math. We're like, okay, well, we can get to uh, Jacksonville or to, to Fort, Fort Lauderdale, Lauderdale by, like, 3 in the afternoon. Right. So let's meet at 4, you know, and, and we'll be good. Right. And at the same time, we got Randy Lanier thinking that he's going to be there at 6. Yeah. So we're like, same uh, location. Now right. Here's the thing: right. we don't know anything about their modern day relationship. Yeah, Randy's been in jail for 27 years, and Don only went for like 18 months. But they went to jail for very similar reasons at the same rough time. Yeah. So, so we don't know if they like that was their bad blood. Right. Like guy ran another guy again. out. Yeah. Sure. So we literally are now like, are we the assholes that are going to have Don Whittington sitting down and then Randy Lanier walking in like a big smile on his face like, hey, I'm here to, oh, uh, no. And like, or, they, or they don't, not you, you know, and they don't know anything about our podcast. So for all they know, like, this is what it is. Like, right. It's like all we do is like interview burn these people guys and burn them like, ah, when in fact it's like just this friendly race car driver show. So, right. Uh, so we now have these like moral dilemmas of our own where it's like, how do we set the tone early on like hey look we do want to know that stuff but we're also not here to like embarrass you or like your family or anything along those lines but you know well, we want to hear the stories we want to hear the stories it's just one of these things that we're like what's happening what, right what now this is our dumb podcast we that we were just position? like <laughs> so we literally call Sean's partner at, at uh, the media barons Jason and and give him specific instructions on how to edit the webs the yeah, the episodes in, ca- like, in case something happens be, to us yeah where we we're going to be and so. like a call time for afterwards it's just like <laughs> stuff like that because we're idiots because we're dorks yeah and so yeah so we end up getting there now to set it up for for you guys when we go to a dinner we generally get to the restaurant an hour ahead of time to make sure everything's okay so we can set up the equipment which isn't a, a lot of stuff but it just takes it takes a little bit of time and you don't want to be fumbling through it as the guest shows up and yep. is waiting and we like to just start as soon as they walk in to get the natural like conversation going and there's a lot to like there, you got to find a table with a power outlet sometimes there's not enough seat spaces you think right. like, there's a lot of things that show up so you need to show up early yeah so we get there early at least an hour ahead of time sometimes more in this case because we hustled down there to try to get there you know in, in good time and because we basically just ran out of the hotel hotel we got there about an hour and a half early generally the guests show up five minutes late we park in the parking lot away from the entrance we've been on the road at this point for like three weeks yeah and it's a hard three weeks this isn't like three weeks of a car that you drive back and forth to work this is like we've been on cross-country drives 18 hours in the car every day so there's like soda cans and trash wrappers everywhere like, like fast food wrappers fast everywhere. food wrappers i uh i a lot of times in the passenger seat will take my shoes off yes you do and uh and, and so like this is just what we look like and so <laughs> so we pull up next to a minivan and i open my passenger side door trash comes out <laughs> i'm putting my shoes on i'm pretty rough like this this is not a sight to see <laughs> right. like, we, we look like these crazed guys in a in a in a modern van in a 2016 <laughs> honda odyssey which but for doesn't some reason, deserve any of this <laughs> yeah um and apparently this was all next to uh, don whittington who's sitting in his van watching because he got there an hour and 35 minutes early yep and saw us pull up yeah why we don't know 
but but his first impression was me opening up my trash-filled passenger side door and put my shoes on. Like, right, oh. right. It's, and so uh, he must have felt comfortable with us. Yeah, that was like, okay, these guys are they're fine. fine. Yeah. <laughs> so. so that sets the tale of how we get them. The thing about Don that we realized right away is he doesn't follow the sport as close as he used to because he's not as involved. He still likes to ride his dirt bikes and off-road stuff. He still hangs out with racers. Apparently very good friends with Bobby Unser. The guy does not give a what you think about his opinions. Yep. He is happy to tell you how he feels about anything, including politics, and doesn't care what you think. And, and it turns out he was right. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I didn't mind it at all. Not that I agreed with some of his ideas or principles, but I love the fact that he was like, here's what I think. Don't care. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, if you don't like it, not my problem. Donnie Dubs Donnie does Dubs. what Donnie Dubs wants. That's right. So that was kind of the whole setup to get him. But you just got to understand that, like, we were thinking about this for months ahead. Like, God, we really want this guy to be really cool. And when we got him, he gave us his time. We asked the questions that I'm sure he didn't want us to ask. He was fine about it. He gave us the answers that he wanted to give. And now you get to listen and uh, yep. you can form your opinion. And but it's very critical that if you haven't listened to the Randy Lanier episode, give the Randy Lanier episode a listen because it really kind of answers some of the questions that we didn't get answered in this one. So, Don Whittington, Donnie Doves. Got Nettle Tire. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Oh, by the way, cussing with us, totally good. Yeah. Oh, we encourage it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's I try not to. I'm trying to cuss less. <laughs> I use the word f <laughs> right. Well, let's get the headset on. Let's hear it for. This is. Uh, there's a reason we'll never go live because with us on the air, it's very dangerous. <laughs> we so, would, yeah, uh, we'd lose our funding immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, because Ryan's got the very nice factory deal racing for Acura, we're not going to f that up. No, please <laughs> not. Know, so. Anyway, so the first time you and I talk, uh, first of all, thanks for calling back. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but the first time you and I talk, you're telling me how you just got out of the desert with Bobby Unser and and a couple other guys. I'm like. Jesus Christ! Like, is this your, is this your crew? Is this your guys? <laughs> yeah. Well, Larry Raglan's racing with us this year. First time I've ever been to Baja, so he's gonna okay. he's riding with us, which is a blessing. Right. Bill's been racing some of this stuff for years. So, and Bobby, we were at the ranch in Colorado. Bobby okay. has a place in the same town in Pagosa Springs. Okay. And Larry spent quite a bit of time up there this summer. Right. He loves to run dozers and stuff. We we're adding to a dam. Right. Okay. We built a dam a few years ago. We added a bunch of. And just for those who it. don't know, Larry. From that, Larry Raglan. Larry Raglan, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we had known his ex-wife for years and years, and my wife had met Larry a bunch, but I never had because they have a place in uh, Telluride. Okay. Cool guy, and Bobby's a great guy. He's 83 years old. He brought his buggy up because he's in Pagosa. We all went to a place called Victoria. Right. One day, Larry and his and Unser and Bill and I and one and raced. You know, changed blows all the way up there and all the way, had a hamburger and came back. <laughs> nice. It'd be a more fun of a day. <laughs> it was just absolutely. I mean, that's and he's, is he still out there like he used to be? Eighty-three years old and still driving. Right. That's awesome. No, he is wide open still. He's got back trouble, but he still makes it all work. Right. His back has been bad for years, but right. he's still making it work. Right. He still works. He still does one or two. He'll do three or think three or four events a month. He'll get in his Aerostar. Him and his wife. They both fly the Aerostar, and they go all over the country doing it. Just going out speaking and, and stuff. Yeah, no, they yeah. get paid really well for it too. He kind of can. So, so who's your crew? Who's the who does Don Whittington hang out with? Mostly the family. I mean, my son works with us at the airport. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, I'm there every day. We buy and sell airplanes, sell jet fuel to people, and yeah. uh, 
I've got a guy, Jeff Hudlett, was a world champion go-kart guy. We see a lot of him. Okay. He does Donnie's kart stuff, helps with that. Right. And your son, Donnie, is, yeah. is just like you. He's out there trying to make he's, it work. He's trying to make it work, running through the go-kart stuff now and right. doing well. And he raced motorcycles with me for a few years. <coughs> broke a few bones, got tired of that. Right. <laughs> so he's back. He's in the go-karts. And nice. we hope to move him up to something more soon, you know. Sure. Right. So we met by me basically putting in a cold call to WorldJet, which you mentioned. So WorldJet is a it's like a it's a private airport, or, and That's ex it's a Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport. Okay. okay. And there are several FBOs there, and an FBO the for those who don't know is a fixed they base. Sell, we sell fuel and we rent hangar space to right. people. And the term is fixed base. Fixed base op operation. operation they call it. Right. Yeah. Private airport. It's so it's it's a it's a public airport, but it's private, and uh, we have probably more. I think we were number two or three in the nation for corporate jets being okay. based there in the last few years. Nice. Cool. So it, it, we have, they'll have a couple hundred thousand takeoff and landings a year. They used to have Jeez. more, but okay. it's down. But 180 to 200,000 takeoff and landings a year. So you're making money by people renting space? By Are you doing any like work on uh, like a, a aircraft management, anything like that? No, we used to manage some airplanes, but don't anymore. Okay. We have a s couple of major shops that rent space from us that do work on airplanes. Okay. So that, that we have 380,000 square feet of hangars that we rent to people. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. And then we sell fuel. Wow. So okay. Yeah, we're there. It's, it's been, we've been there since 76. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And you've had it, it's been years the whole time? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So one of the things that Sean and I, uh, on this particular trip, last year was more of a kind of an introduction to what we, we didn't really know what we were doing. Not that we know what we're doing now, but we knew less than. Um, and what we've come across on this trip is a lot of themes where people that still work together to this day used to work together a long time ago. So some of the names that we've gotten to interview this, this year, a, a guy named Max Jones, for example, I don't know if you remember him, but he now runs Ganassi's uh, NASCAR project. And yeah, we know Chipper well. We he, see him. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we, we told him we were going to be meeting with you in a couple of days. He's I like, know who man, he is. that guy was one of my heroes. He's <laughs> like, you're getting Don Whittington? And we were like, oh, yeah. Shit. And that was pretty cool. Um, but it seemed like names from yesteryear are, are still They're like, still around. And you all know each other. Yeah, everybody knows everybody. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, so I think a lot of guys stayed in touch. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. have some guys that, you know, um, I, and that, I never stayed in touch with Hurley much. He drove with us some and great guy. Couldn't yeah. be a nicer yeah. guy. But he was always his own thing. Everybody out there racing has their own deal going on yes. in, in their life. And, you know, family and kids and stuff. And most of the kids now are older for most of the guys. So they have more time to do stuff. And a lot of them are still participating in racing. I mean, not right. just what I do, but they all, a lot of those guys are still doing stuff and, right. and wide open about it. They right. have fun. One of the things that blew us away with Hurley was his story, the way he told it to us. You know, he did a, literally a couple of autocrosses. Met Peter Gregg, and you know, after just a few races, was all of a sudden at Watkins Glen running what would now be the six hour. Um, <clears throat> and in the modern era, it doesn't seem like it's really done that way. Like you can't, you, you know, your ki uh, your grandkids can't do a couple of go kart races, turn sixteen, and be no. ready to go run yeah. Continental. Um, right. You'd have to start when you're seven. Yeah. And that's 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 but what. How that's was what it? I how see. was it for you? Because obviously, you guys kind of burst onto the scene. Um, I'd raced go-karts and quarter midgets when I was seven, eight years old. Okay. So and you came from racing. Your dad raced. My dad cars, raced, right. you know, Pikes Peak and uh, flat tracks. He right. won the Phoenix, you know, uh, USAC race one time. Right. But he raced, uh, he ran midgets his whole life when he was growing up. Right. So it was natural something I wanted to do. And, right. Uh, a guy named Jerry Alexander in Farmington, New Mexico, where I lived, was an RC bottling guy. And he loved racing, and he bought a quarter midget and had tryouts down at his 
bottling sh shop there okay. in Farmington. I rode my bicycle down and got the job. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's pretty simple. I mean, then I ran it for a while, and then we got a go-kart after that. And we had a Scorpion go-kart. It had two Max 6s on it. Of course, I was a, a skinny runt, so I didn't weigh much. And Bobby Unser's guys from New Mexico, from Albuquerque, would all come to Farmington to race. I beat the pants off of them because they were older guys that were heavy, and I weighed nothing. You know, right, so it, right. it wasn't necessarily skills. It just I had. You just had the weight. Yeah. I had the weight. <laughs> and we were talking. He knew some of those guys when I saw Bobby the other day. He knew some of the guys I'd raced against when I was like eight years old. Nice. So it was a very young thing. What? Uh, what? You know, we know you for winning Le Mans. We know you for for racing at Indy and, and all that. What? What were the? Tell us about the the time leading up to winning Le Mans. Well. We started running the, the Porsches in seventy, late seventy-eight, and uh, up until that, you were racing primarily carts before you were ready to drive. Nah, I, I hadn't. I had rent some motorcycle. We didn't run. I'd not raced cars before that much. Okay, at oh all. Wow. Well, not okay. much. Not at all. Okay. We raced some motorcycles in the seventies and stuff, and in the sixties, Bill and I, uh, Harris Gramble, your brother back Bill, then, yeah, brother yeah. Bill, and then uh, we bought a nine thirty-four from a guy named Brown out of Seattle and then modified it for a 935. And really our first race for that car was uh, Talladega. Oh, a wow. six-hour race at Talladega, and we finished second. Yeah. Uh, Rutherford drove with us, in fact. Johnny drove with Bill and I and Johnny Rutherford drove that race, and we finished second, had a good race. I, I don't know who won it. But then that, that was kind of the entry, and then we bought a car from Al Holbert, his 934, that he won the championship with. Right. And then took that and then bought uh, a 935 after that, and... Then Le Mans, we went, um, we went to the Le Mans the year before. 78. In 78 with yeah. Reinhold Yost, who's still a real good friend. We talked to Reinhold all the time. And rented his car and had, the car broke. You know, I had an accident in the car after it broke. And Kramer had the winning hand in Europe that year. He won everything. They had a, the best prepared car in the world. It's just a great car. And uh, so we made a deal with him. Yeah. Ended up buying the car, won the race and bought the car. But. I mean, it, 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 you know, we had some good luck during the race and some bad luck during the race, but it right. turned out okay. But that was kind of the start of it. Right. And then uh, the six-hour races were real popular. They had the World Endurance Challenge in about 80, I think, something like that. We ran those races and yep. uh, was able to win that. We, I won every six-hour race I entered that year. Right. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. <laughs> well, uh, but actually, so here, but you bring up an interesting point. So for lack of a, uh, you would have been what we call in modern days a gentleman driver, right? I mean, you were there because you had funding. No, it was, we had some, they, those cars were, were really not bad price-wise. They weren't bad to run back then. Right, They're right. not like today's cars. Right. Well, and the, you could win a little money, you could pick up some sponsorship here and there, and it, it wasn't such a, a burden, and people weren't making hundred, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 a year. I mean, right. you could hire a great guy for 10 or $12 an hour. Some <laughs> of them, we weren't paying that to <laughs> back in the 70s. But the cost of living was less for everybody, right. well, too. I mean, there's plenty of ways in racing to not make money. That's still That's true right. today. That's you right. know, try PR and marketing. But, no, no, uh, exactly. Podcasting. <laughs> podcasting. The day the racers have put themselves out of business, they really have. They've, they've, right. they've kept, kept adding technology to the cars, which is really expensive. Yeah. And it's just out of hand. And try to and like to try to go run an Audi that's a couple of years old or something. Yeah, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, Reinhold had 80 people at Sebring. Yeah. Yeah. The last yeah. time he ran there. Yeah. In fact, his head guy used to do the engines for Kramer. Okay. I mean, talk about a, a nucleus of people that's still out there. Yeah, yeah. right. That's right, right. just and Reinhold was a great driver. He drove back then too. Yeah, right. That's a good driver. Yeah. A liquid Molly car. You know, that's who he was. And 
But I, I, I kind of ask that because transitioning to kind of the modern days of IMSA, we look at somebody, maybe less so yourself, but but like a an Al Holbert or a, a Bobby Aiken, yeah. you know, no one asked for driver rankings in those days. And I don't know if you follow IMSA today, but you know the whole driver rankings disaster that's going on. I drove, <laughs> what I ran an IMSA race about five or six years ago at Sebring. Okay. And yeah, it was a pain in the ass. I mean, they just, they had, they didn't like this, they don't like that. They, yeah. That the whole thing's, you know, Bishop, I think, just died this year. Yes. Yeah. His wife had died earlier. and. Things change. I mean, you know, the evolution of racing, but I, I think it's going the wrong direction. I mean, they should have never have done the prototypes. They should have kept with a homologated car, mm -hmm. and it's murdered racing. Yeah. There's no relationship between what something looks like and what the guy can go buy. Right. I mean, at least a 935 had a front end or a 934 or a 911. They had a front end. It was a Porsche. I mean, it's yeah. a homologated yeah. car. They they don't even know what that word means anymore. Right. So. Yeah, the the – the basic question that we had for you is because you have a professional background outside of the sport and were able to bring funding to race. And I, and, and this went like to the Bob Aikens and Al Holberts and, and they were happy to race against the best drivers in the world on equal footing and compete. And you didn't hear any bitching about it. And there wasn't this thing that now they call driver ratings. It literally was like, no, you're supposed to race against the best guys out there, no matter who it is. And, the, the idea behind them is they're trying to make it fair for a guy that doesn't race for a living. And so when we asked Hurley Haywood about it last night, we didn't know which way he would go, but he, he flat out said, driver rankings are absolute bullshit. It is bullshit. You're supposed to be out there competing against the best people. And, and, and he's like, back in the day, like Peter Gregg, who he drove with, was a wealthy guy that wanted to race. And he never once said, oh, this is too hard. I should have a, an advantage or something. Yeah. And so we were like, I wonder what Don would say, because you guys raced everything from Lama to Indy cars when Indy cars were terrifying to NASCAR and you guys like no problem doing it happy to be there it was easy I mean it, it wasn't hard at all and yeah. the same with airplanes I mean airplanes were easy but the driver rating thing you asked a question a while ago and I really didn't answer it but I think that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard <laughs> in my life <laughs> either the man has the talent or a woman has the talent and they belong on a racetrack or they need to go f home right God and that's all you. there is to it there's yeah. no two ways if you qualify race and have the experience and they accept you and give you a driver's license it should not have ratings on it you're either a race car driver or you're not yes correct and there's no there's no in between That's so funny. you never got out of the car after a practice session after a bad race and went well it's not fair because they're all pros that are racing against us Nah, yeah. i mean yeah one of my most cherished pictures there is is Jackie X at the start of Le Mans showing Bill the finger because he passed him at the start in a 936 <laughs> Bill passed it. So, I mean, so that tells you. I mean, when you're in a race car, you're all the same. You're going to yeah. love fenders. You're going to get pissed off. You're going to, you know, you might do stupid things, but you want to get by the guy in front of you. Yeah. You want to run over him, drive over him, eat him, however you, you want. You won't buy. I yeah. mean, that's yeah. what I, I still today love going around corners. I mean, yeah. going fast isn't a big deal. I like going around corners and braking. That's racing. Anything other than that doesn't matter. Yeah. Now, SCCA has ratings for drivers, and I think that's a, that's a reasonable deal for the SCCA because they bring people from, from the very, very slowest cars yeah. to very fast cars. But it's intentionally amateur racing. But it is right, amateur right. racing, so yeah. I think that's needed there. But in pro racing, you pay your entry fee, you qualify, you go home. That's all there is to it. You shouldn't have a series where... This other guy gets this or that. It's just total nonsense. Right. And I forgot all about that until you mentioned it just now, too. <laughs> yeah. I well, because you don't watch IMSA. 
correct? Like huh? you're not you're not watching MC these days. No, there's none on TV hardly any to watch. <laughs> Second time we've heard that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Bless it, bless it. So, uh, Sean and I were having this debate this morning uh, on the drive down here. We are familiar with Blue Thunder Racing Team, and is it? It's the same time the movie came out, roughly that you guys started that team. Is it because you guys love the movie? Is it related at all? No, or we I totally don't think that, 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 I, Oh, man, we were it, way off. No, 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 I had nothing to do with that movie, and I had really nothing to do with Blue Thunder Racing. Randy did and my brother Bill, Yeah. and they kicked everybody's ass so good with those, yeah. you know, that Lola car. And, yeah. And it, not, they had a march, I'm sorry, the march. And, yes, uh, yeah. Faulkner did the motors, did a beautiful job on them, and they just kicked the Porsche's ass. They just beat them to death. They, they wore them out. I drove once or twice for those guys, and... That was Randy's name. That's yeah. what they call the Blue Thunder Racing. But they're, the movie Blue Thunder, I've seen it, but no connection. We were so hoping. It was like, what's no your favorite line to. from the movie? Because yeah. okay. I've got an investment no. opportunity for Blue Thunder the musical. If you want to get in on it. Oh, if you want to get in on the ground floor, <laughs> we'll make it work. Silent. You got Led Zeppelin. I mean, have you got anybody good that I know about? Wolfman? Or oh, it's a work in progress. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we, we run a business. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's similar for you, but our business model is, uh, you know, Ready, fire, aim. Yeah. yeah. So we try to get the investors, and then we try to figure out how to make a play afterwards. So That's how life works, though. Yeah. Right. There's right. All the best plan, the best forge plans in the world don't yeah. work a lot of times. So right. You have to just shoot from your hip and start over constantly in life. You really do. Right. So Blue Thunder Racing was a venture uh, between your brother Bill and Randy Lanier. Yeah, sure was. Uh, he, I think he lives around here. Do you... Um, do you still stay in touch with Randy? I stay in touch with him all the time. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. no, he's, he just he's got a good out. guy. Right. He's been working with Preston Hinn at the swap shop for a while. Cool, yeah. okay. And Preston's an absolute character of life. In fact, you ought to go interview the guy. He's, we'll love to. he's yeah. 80-some years old. He'd love to do it. I, I saw him yesterday. And <laughs> cool, okay. He is, he's still a hoot of life. I mean, yeah. he's, he's got all those cars over there. You can drive over right now and see an $80 million Ferrari yeah. there. And this is all at the swap shop. And, a, yeah. and yeah. His, he's got all those other cars, too. Yeah. And he still drives that stuff. So. Yeah. How's Randy been adjusting, you think, to no, uh, doing life well. outside? He, he yeah. worked there for, he's been there for a year or so now and doing yeah. really well. Yep. He's running some cars, got a little television thing working and huh. a show going. A he's, he's, okay. Yeah, he's got something huh? going on. He really does. He's trying to make something out of it. That's awesome. He's That's been doing good. some driving for some guys and doing some teaching. Nice. Yeah, he's going to be fine. Huh. Okay. That's cool. Cool. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, for spending, yeah, he paid a hell of a price, I but mean, he's really okay. It was 25 years? Yeah, more than that, in? I think. Okay. Yeah, that's tough to adjust. I mean, what do I know? But, uh, uh, yeah. Speaking of which, Ben Kramer, um, I found out that he was a nephew of Meyer Lansky. Is that correct? I don't think that's true. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> it's like a lifestyle. No, ben, I'm, I'm I, just curious. Yeah. And I, I met Ben and um, his dad and their uncle in California. I mean, it may have been. I mean, they said that we were the son of Meyer Lansky. So, I mean, who the hell knows about <laughs> that? I, mean, okay. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. You could probably ask him if you tracked him down. I mean, he'd probably tell you. Sure. He would, he would tell you right away. So huh. you guys don't stay in touch? Huh? You and no, ben I haven't Kramer. been in touch with him since he's been, you know, been away. I okay. haven't. Okay. So I kind of want to go back a little bit to IndyCar because you actually raced several times in the 500, and you finished sixth. Fifth. Fifth. Oh, wow. Excuse you. Uh, Should have won the race that year. I had the best car. Yeah. We lost a clutch early on. The first pit stop, that killed the motor and got a lap down. I just, I didn't. I wasn't smart enough to get it back. Yeah. So talk to us about what it was like to drive an Indy car in that era where the power numbers were insane, but the cars are still very dangerous and very likely 
if you had a crash at Indy, it was going to be injury. You get hurt. Yeah. My brother got hurt at Indy. Yeah. I crashed twice there in practice, or once during the race and uh, once in practice really hard. And uh, those cars had no protection. Right. They just, it just wasn't a thought. And the carbon fiber was so strong back then, it was it was bad for your body. I mean, when you hit, it's one thing, but the aluminum cars would kind of crinkle yeah. and absorb some energy. The same with the sprint cars. They made those so stiff it, you know, would kill the guys. But the new cars are much, much better. But right. I didn't think much about it. Huh. No, I, I just, you know, I wanted to go fast. I, <laughs> I, it, not, my goal at Indies was to straighten out the course. In other words, you go there and you, you do your splits and you, you see, you try to lose the least amount of RPM when you turn the steering wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to straighten out the straightaway. So it, yeah. the quicker you can run flat there. And we had, I ran a race before that in California at, the, at uh, Riverside. Ontario. Okay. Ontario. Yeah. Fabulous racetrack. Yeah. And Rutherford was on the, that was uh, Marlboro or uh, Budweiser McLaren. And I think Bud was a sponsor. I'm not sure. And b he and Bill ran, too, in a Pernelli car. We were having trouble holding the car flat because they just didn't, it didn't feel natural to go down the corner. And, you know, the thing just didn't have a feel for where the limits were yeah. yet. So Rutherford told us many times, he said, you just got to look in the mirror and talk to yourself, you know. Yeah. But it, it, and I finished that race, too. I finished fifth there, too, the first race I ever ran with those cars. Because in those days, All it, the wasn't, stars were there. it wasn't flat in those days like it is today. Just about. Oh, really? Just about. But just about means you really have to commit. No, it was, I spun going into three in practice one day there and didn't hit the fence. I collected. I spun and came in the pits. Hey, you know, I just spun this thing. I feel bad about it. we got to put some more wing in it. And yeah. <laughs> they all turned white and looked at me and all fainted, <laughs> but I didn't hit anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I looped it, and then I was going backwards, and I just spun it back around. I wasn't thinking about it. I just did it, you know. But right. They, they were lightweight cars. They were lightweight cars. With no foot protection. Yeah. That's yeah. why Foyt limps today. His feet are just destroyed. Right. right. There's just, there was no, the, the fuel cell would protect you if you had something from the back because you set on the fuel cell. In fact, when you fill it with gas, you had to loosen the seat belts because if you, during the race, you tighten your belts really, really tight, you know, then they fill it with fuel and then you can't breathe just about. So as the really? race goes on, your belts get looser. You're always tightening them. Yeah. Then when you fill it with fuel, it just stretches it so much you can't but that's what you want you want it so you just can barely breathe right yeah. right but they the speed speed's not something you really notice in those cars okay. whether you yeah. run at 200 or 215 i mean i ran 215 there set a record in practice but you don't really notice it you're just trying to straighten the track out and run flat yeah. that's all you're trying to do so any little maneuver Anytime you turn that steering wheel, the RPMs go down. So you try to get it down to just a few hundred RPM. Right, that's right. all. Right. Minimize, yeah. It's an easy race. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so far the the common theme here is that you don't seem to be phased by much. You're like, yeah, well, we won the mile. That was really cool. That's yeah, fine. And yeah. then we went to Indian. Eh, it, was, it was okay. And I mean, it was spun once. It was fun. I mean, I was never, I was never taken in by the moment much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're driving a race car in Indian, you never see the crowd. It just, it's just, you don't even look at the grandstands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you do, you're daydreaming. So, <laughs> right, right. You know, you just, you pay attention. And the same at Le Mans. I mean, we had some great luck at Le Mans. It's a bad luck in order to win it. Right. So, it all, it just, they go up. But if you're focused enough on what you're doing, like racing a motorcycle, if you're not focused, you're just going to bust your ass immediately. Yeah. yeah. So, you learn how to be real focused when you drive a vehicle. Right. So, you, you don't seem short of confidence. So, <laughs> showing up at. Showing up at Le Mans in uh, 1979, did you, again, I just look at it as like, 
you weren't like the factory team. It wasn't a March team. It was you guys running your own deal. Did you show up knowing you could win? You never think about winning that race. Right. Or any race, really. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, but then you got to set it aside and just think about what you have to do to the car to make it go faster. Right. And make it live. And then the driver, Bill and I never thought about it. Klaus Ludwig was great. Right. The team was superb. I mean, we lost a belt during the race and lost a lot of time, but we're, you know, something worked out there. I'll tell you that story. But you don't think about that. You, you have to focus on how to make the, the machine go better right. and drive easier. And the fact, you know, so you, you try to drive it as fast as you can, but as safe as you can, but right at the limit. You right. Know, we're just, you got to get, you got to find the limit and just stay it there. Right. Right. You, you can't. You can't do anything else. And if you do that, your attention band's pretty narrow, as you yeah. know in the cars that you race. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But you said you lost the belt. We did lose the belt. I was going down the Mulsanne, and uh, <clears throat> maybe two and a half hours left in the race, something like that. Thing just signed off. It rained all day and all night. And were you guys leading at that point? Yeah, we had a huge lead. And so yeah, you're in the car, and I assume when you get in the car with two and a half hours ago leading, you're probably, your, your mental focus is just don't up just yeah. i don't want to be the guy yeah you, yeah but you gotta you gotta blow that out right away because you will yeah right so you just drive as hard as you can right i mean just, just it's the same procedure the same time I mean, we ran the same time we qualified out almost in the rain <laughs> yeah our car was that good we had tires that were phenomenal yeah oh, they hand grooved them all right going down the most saying the thing just signed off and i knew what it was because we lost the belt in practice it's not a big deal you take all the calion out of the back of the inside of the engine um and we had a spare belt there. Were you able to get it back to the pits, or did you have to do it yourself? No, it, it took a while. The okay. um, They forgot to put a wrench in there to loosen the damn banjo fitting to, for the fuel pump. Okay. Oh. okay. So I had the first belt, and I it wasn't going to fit because I couldn't loosen it up. So I timed the engine and the pump like you do, slid the belt on, but I had to I had a screw. Where, where are you at this point on the track? At the middle of the straightaway at right. Le Mans. So, so just I'm, to put I'm on the track and off the track, and the cars are going by wide open. Yeah. And, so, and a lot of people may not realize. I mean, it's I think still true today, but like in those times, crew guy, you, you weren't getting a tow back to the pits. Crew guys can't go out and help no. you. So you are the driver. You've got whatever resources you've got in front of you. You have to fix the car right. to be able to get it back into the pits. That's right. And they have right. plenty of people there watching you do it, too. Yeah, mean, to the, make the sure. Crowd, it was and the car's going by in the wet and the rain. Every time the, they'd go by, about to lift the car off the ground. And you're standing in half the on the track. Yeah, about to say, you're sitting right there. Yeah, so. they're yeah. running 180 miles an hour or so. Jesus. And it's raining still. And, you know, it's, it's scary from that standpoint. So you have to. So I get the belt off, and there's no tool to loosen the thing up. So I pry the first belt on. It's a Gilmore-type belt. And I, I, I carefully try to pry it on with a screwdriver, start the engine. It starts and pitches the belt right away because <laughs> I couldn't get all the way. Yeah, right. So now I figure the race is over. You know, I'm dead. So yeah. I took the screwdriver, took the tail off the car, and I took the screwdriver and pried the alternator belt off with a screwdriver. Too big, of course. So then I, I had some duct tape. I had them put a, almost a half roll of duct tape back on the bar. So I undo the duct tape, and I start taping up the bottom pulley. And I taped it up and taped it up and taped it up until <laughs> I built it up. And this isn't a rehearsed thing. They don't. You haven't walked through how to do it if you oh get no. in this position. I mean, right. changing the belt's easy. You take a wrench, loosen up the turnbuckle, yeah, left hand, right hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's over with. You loosen up, put on, tighten it. It's, yeah. it's so simple. Right, right, right. right. But without a, with a screwdriver, it's a little more difficult. And I, 
the alternator belt was too big, but I put so much duct tape on that pulley. It, the pulley, I had that much tape yeah. on it. <laughs> and I line it up. I, I just knew it wasn't going to work. Right. <laughs> I hit the starter switch, and it started so instantly it scared me. <laughs> <laughs> so now all the shits, they take the stuff and put it over the guardrail. So I have to get all the stuff back over the guardrail because I can't go over the guardrail. So they're handing me the stuff, and I'm trying to put it in place without it. You know, I'm lucky to get it off with just a screwdriver. Right. Put the wing back on it, and I'm... Filthy, dirty, dead, tired, just, you know, I'm, I'm dead at that point. Yeah. yeah, right, right. I never touched the throttle. It idled about 1,800 RPMs. I went one, two, three, four, back to the pits and got out. Yeah. And then they put a new belt on it. <laughs> wow. Bill went back out. We had like a maybe an 18-minute lead after that point, and he just ran and brought her home. Right. Yeah, right. That's awesome. So do you ever throw that over Bill today? Like, you know, I'm, I'm what wife will them I think Bill forgot that. <laughs> Kramer, until the day he died, kept that belt, though. Yeah. Really? That's yeah, yeah. Cool. absolutely. He was his brother. Did we order pizza? Yeah, we yeah, did. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's, that's, cool. Because there's a whole me. thing behind us. I was like, is that that's for us? That's yeah, that's either, for us. Yeah. Break yeah. it in. Cool. You can, guys, you can stop it and eat if you want. No, no, we keep rolling. Okay. okay. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah, no. I'll, I'll bring it over. Okay. All right, so obviously you've had a lot of uh, – obviously you've run with your brother a bunch, uh, but you – you know, you were in Indy and sports cars during what we would now consider one of the golden eras of the sport. Who was the guy you wanted to punch in the uh, in the face the most? <laughs> and that's not a question just for you. We ask everybody that. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's not exclusive to you. <laughs> it's a pretty long list. Where should I start? Oh, I love it. All right, go. I love it. <laughs> the funny thing was last year we interviewed a lot of sports car drivers, and, like, they all picked kind of the same two people. <laughs> this is a common theme. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know who that is without asking. <laughs> <laughs> I got along okay with those guys, though. <laughs> John Paul Sr. broke my arm one day in a race car, and I would like to have shot the son of a bitch. Well, he'd probably okay. shoot back. Yeah. <laughs> well, he did for sure. Well, so. He broke it in eight places. I, I just had the plate taken out a few years ago, and I broke it here. They had to put a plate here and take that plate out. It was in there for almost 30 years. Oh, wow. So the background here is that my dad was one of JLP Racing's mechanics. That's why I got Which one? His name's John Eversley. Dude, was he in Atlanta? Yeah. yeah I know who he is. That's where English I'm from. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of grew up in Paul, that world. Yeah. The problem was John Paul, he reacted. His son, I was trying to pass his son, and he yeah. thought I was dicking with him. I wasn't. I just was getting by him, that's all. But in the meantime, then he pulled up on the back straight road to Atlanta and then gave me a big bang with that type of steering with no power steering any hit on that tire goes right through your arms yeah and i had a pretty good grip on the wheel and it, j it just shattered this in eight places i oh finished geez. the race with, know, with that, the other with the shattered arm, arm. but okay. i drove with my legs and the right hand and i could i couldn't do much with the left hand but that was uncalled for i mean he reacted because he thought his son was getting bothered but i forgot about it later and went on i really there's there's a one one or two more but not really the drivers much or the crew none of the uh officiating guys they were all pretty damn particularly at indy they were exceptionally good to us all right because we weren't part of the pack we were kind of new yeah. right we were new right so they really gave us a good hand and well, epsa was the same way they were really good well so you i mean you guys were part of this influx of of just guys that kind of showed up out of nowhere we uh, need, you want you. some more pizza i had a water somewhere oh here it oh, is uh, here it is i'm sorry <laughs> cool. um how do you feel like you guys fi fit into the paddock at that time because you know there was a I don't think we gave a shit, really. <laughs> I mean, we we wanted to race, right? And we just wanted to race. We didn't want any right. any bullshit. We were happy to get the car through tech, right? To do any questions, do the interviews, all that stuff, and and so had some a of great the, time doing it, right? 
But we just didn't want to. We didn't give a what they thought. We wanted to beat everybody. So some of the older teams were like, oh, I don't know where their oh, money's coming Craig, from and all that Craig, kind of stuff. Craig was the worst in the world. Who? Uh, uh, Peter Craig. Peter Craig. <laughs> okay. He was terrible about that. He was. He came from a different cut. Right. Well, and he was very much. I mean, his his money was family money, dealership money, and I. Do you feel like there was any resentment in terms of kind of where you guys were coming from with funding? He spent more money than we did. Huh. Fair enough. He just he even called um, the Kramers and begged them not to sell that car to us. Really, really, because <laughs> he knew we were going to kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. He had it. He did so many things. Peter's favorite trick was to overfill the oil tank for the start of the race, and he did it every race. Until I threatened to beat their shit out of him. He would he, fi- wait, fill he, up on your car. No, no. He would overfill his oil tank. Ah, okay. So dry cover, your, cover your windshield. So cover your windshield. Yeah. Okay. And I put up with it for a few times and told it Bill. And he was on the pole, on the pole more than we were in right. the beginning because he was a better driver. He had great equipment, and he was a better driver. No two ways about it. And that was the, that was the end. That I had... I had some t- tough words with him one day yeah. about that, yeah. and he quit doing it. Too, though I, re- you know, he quit doing it. But really? that was his favorite. What was but correct? <laughs> you can't I see that oil on the windshield. No, no, no I, I <laughs> Oh my God! It I'm, made sh- mad. I'm sure he quit doing it, but I'm pretty sure it didn't come from you going. Could you stop? <laughs> Tell Those me, my words. How did it happen? How did it happen? <laughs> was there a fist? Was there more than a fist? No, no, I didn't hit him. Okay. He was just. <laughs> he you was threatened too, him. He was a little too pin- puny to hit. I just. I. I used the F word repeatedly probably and got probably right in his face and cussed him out real thoroughly. And I think he got the point. And we became <laughs> pretty good friends after that, in fact. Really? Yeah. Okay. He called all the time. We spoke quite a bit. Okay. So 1979 rolls around. You guys purchase and operate Road Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, by doing that, we were able to write, you know, you could race more. Uh-huh. We never practiced there. We never had the time to practice there. The cars were on the road a bit. But it was just—it was a good opportunity. It was a great—it was a great piece of dirt. We bought it from a great guy, and, and uh, it was a fun experience. It really was. Yeah. But it was—it was solely so we could race more. That's all it was about. Yeah. And then we could—it was easier to do stuff. Met a lot of great people. We met. What do you mean it was easier to do stuff? Well, it was easier to race. I mean, it, because if you had a track. You could get more sponsorship. You could do, make more deals. You could do stuff. Right. It opened a lot of doors. That was helpful. Well, I mean, sort of having your own. But track. then we met the other side of the crew, the other side of the racing people. You know, the guys from Dotson, uh, some great people from all the different sponsors. The Goodyear. I mean, we, it had a different perspective to it. Right. 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 Yeah, right. That was interesting too. It's got to be such a different kind of business model than running a race team, I would assume. Nah, same deal. You just have to. You got to put your time in and. Right. Got to sell tickets. I had promoted racing when I was younger, though, drag racing and stuff when I was 18, sure. 18 right. years old. So there's, you know, the, the Whittington family is obviously, a, a, there's, there's folklore there. You guys are a legend. There's, you know, the legend of Road Atlanta was that you guys could land an airplane. On I the used to land there all the time. You used to land the Bearcat on the back straightaway. <laughs> <laughs> the F-88 okay, Bearcat. So that's 100% true that you guys would absolutely oh, yeah. land stuff I'd there. I'd go in there with that. Then also went in there with the 421 a bunch of times because it was easier to fly straight from there. Yeah, I yeah. could go back nonstop. You know, without buying any fuel, the, the airport there were there were great guys. We went there all the time to the local airport. Okay, but it was fun to land on the back straightaway. Yeah, no. And sh- an F-8F Bearcat, a Navy plane, 
reset right. the engine. It, well, and I assume you don't if you're landing ground quick. And if you're landing on the back stretch, you don't have to deal with anybody at that point. You're not going through towers and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, it's easier. It was fun to do too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of sporting. <laughs> it's just fun to do. So you so you land at Road Atlanta. Where would because I, I grew up there. Where, would you go all the way down to the dip to the pit lane, or no, where would you leave the car? I would or try the plane? to. I would try just past the bump at the exit just past the exit on the back straight away there was a little bump right there yeah. Yeah. in fact we have a picture of bill in the race car with wheeling yeah. after yeah. that bump yeah but no <laughs> i try to touch down right there and then stop it and then uh, park it right there on the side somewhere right <laughs> <Taxi> back <laughs> and park I love take it. Off. did That's like the neighbors call like, hey, nah. there's these well, planes. Back then, there was nothing chicken farmers there. up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. We we chicken, that's chicken country. <laughs> we bought some dirt from one of the next door neighbors, a chicken guy. They're they're all characters up there. <laughs> then they built a real nice dirt track across the street. Yeah. When right. I was up there, I ran some race up there last year in the 935 the guys built, and uh, like a Walter Mitty thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, I think they closed that dirt track. Well, they go track they across the street. They though. paved it, and then oh, and then it ran pretty well for a long time. Linear Raceway, and yeah, then, linear. Yeah, and then it, uh, I think it, it went under, and then it recently Jim Downing bought it. Oh wow! And now he's paved the entire infield, and they use it for like driving schools, drifting schools, oh, good. like go karting. Like they're they're trying to like utilize the property, which is pretty cool. But yeah, for a long time that was a really neat thing to have nearby. That is, yeah. that's a great idea. So yeah. speaking of 935, um, as I understand it, that was one of the sort of the things that got seized when, when everything kind of went down, and it became property of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. No, that, was, that car was never seized. That's not, that's not correct at all. Okay. Uh, uh, not they, cause we you gave them some stuff, right. and one of the cars was a, uh, an Indy car right. and a 934. The 934 car we bought from Brown that we made a 935 out of. Okay. That was it. No, is that the one that you sued over? Because huh? what, what, what was the, the loss that you had with Indy in 2009? We took... I took early on the Le Mans car up there and had a deal with the Holmans and the guy that ran the museum yeah. that it was a loaner. And it was a, a okay. they could keep it as long as they Which wanted Which car to. was this? The, that was the 935 to the 41 car. Okay, it was. Okay. Yeah. Right, right, right. Time went by. I never worried about it. never worried about it. And there was a, an event coming up at Daytona, an antique event. I thought it would be pretty cool to take the car. Yeah, there. So I called and said, hey, guys, and you know, I'd like to come get the car and tidy it up. And uh, they said, well, we own that car, you know. So then I sued them in federal court, lost. They, they stood on the stand and lied. And they right. just lied their guts out and, and lost the car. And then I appealed it. Didn't do that either. But they, they had too good a script. Right. They had nothing in writing. And that's my mistake for not. Right. Not, and it's Tony Holman. Tony Holman's a piece of shit. Yeah. And his family knows it. His great family. They've done wonders for the world in racing, the greatest of all time. But Tony is a bad person. <laughs> And just a terrible person. Didn't need the money. Didn't need the car. It was downstairs. That wasn't the deal anyway. It was supposed to be up there occasionally. But he's just a very spiteful human being. He's been a, he's been a, a horrible person his whole life and still is. And so basically they used Caesar assets and incarceration against you in that No, process? no, they didn't. Nothing was seized. They just okay. said that they were able, since they had the car that long, to establish the fact to convince the judge that they owned the car. Right. Because it was there that long. Right. I still had the title of the car. You know, still have it today, but right. Uh, it's a, that was that was that was ugly. That really yeah. was. Yeah. And they they just they outmaneuvered me. Yeah. And hometown deal. Yeah. I, that was a waste of my money. I spent probably two hundred thousand dollars chasing yeah. that car. Well, when you say hometown deal, you're going against courts that are in uh, Indianapolis. Well, and of course, and it's, yeah. Yeah, the against the Holman family. family area, so yeah, the Holman family is you know. They've done unbelievable things for the racing. They really have great. It's just right. the son's a jerk. Yeah. 
Fair enough. Makes yeah. sense. Makes Simple sense. matter. Yep. Okay, so according to Wikipedia, these are their words, not ours. In 1986, uh, you pled guilty to money laundering charges in association with Bill's guilty plea for tax evasion and conspiracy to smuggle. And along with that, Randy Lanier, John Paul Sr., John Paul Jr., the, the whole lot of you are now in trouble. Well, it, it, not quite like that. Okay. But maybe that's – in time, that's what happened. W that's Wikipedia true. also said you finished sixth, and you said fifth. So I'm going with you on it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> no, the time – I mean, that um, – things happen. Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. all. Right. Yeah. No so – Not the end of the world. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> um what 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 are you comfortable talking about when it comes to this stuff? Really, none of that because I've still got a family that's out there. And Fair enough. Know, I get crucified every day because of it still with right. different yeah, right. things. And, uh, you can't look back on it and regret it sure. or anything like that, nor yeah. can Bill. But it just it's things that happened. It was it was the Wild West a little bit back yeah. then. Yeah, absolutely. I still don't think there's anything with uh, – Selling marijuana myself, I think well, it ought to be a nationwide. They should change the law, and I know, and quit, quit messing with it. Look what, look what it's done for the state of Colorado. We were just <laughs> in Colorado. We were just in Colorado. We were like, what's the it is like booming better yeah. than they've ever been yeah. since the gold rush yeah. days. Well, that's and it's because of that, and they need to get off. Those agencies need to give up on that deal. They they incarcerate people over that stuff. Well, that, and that's it's senseless. Yeah, that, that's and I know Randy's part of a cause. That's one of the kind of the things we we thought about is that, you know. You, 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 and your brother Randy, you guys were, you know, uh, put down basically for for marijuana trafficking, nothing else. Um, and marijuana, because it's so legal today, I mean, there's a lot of movement now too. There are still guys that are serving serving lifelong Life sentences, sentences yeah. because of Reagan's war on oh drugs. Oh my God, that's it's a and shame too. Yeah, for a drug that's basically now legal. Yeah. I mean, do you are you involved in any of those kind of causes? No, not at all. I mean, I don't think I could help them myself. I, I mean, right. I. It wouldn't be a need to carry the torch, or I couldn't help them. But mm -hmm. right. it's just a shame that they are. It was a, it was, some of those things were just wrong. What they did, right? It, it was kind of overkill from one standpoint from what they get away with today. But right. I think they should legalize that nationwide and be done with it. Yeah, right. I agree. Make tax the shit out of it. Yeah, I don't think, I truthfully don't think a cigarette's any worse for you than a marijuana cigarette. Okay, I really don't. Sure. I, I just I know people that have smoked their whole life and still do, that are perfectly normal. And I know some that. Are alcoholics because they drink too much. I know some of them are dying of cancer because they smoke too much. So where's where's <coughs> the differential? I yeah. think right. Where do you draw the line? Right. It's an impossible. Because what you guys were doing as far as racing and how it was getting funded, because that was so high profile, do you feel like you guys were sort of a, for lack of a better question, sort of a PR move? Um, no, not at all. On I mean, it's just it's just something that happened, and um, yeah. yeah, you just look back on it and go down the road. I mean, there's no, to, you can't belabor it or regret it none of that yeah. will work you just right. it was just something that uh happened and that's not what i pled guilty to either by the way but no uh, i understand oh, that yeah. Yeah. by I mean, no means are we yeah, trying no. to yeah, yeah. burn you no no that's yeah. okay i appreciate it but you know it's a fair question i mean yeah. it, it's it's public record and i still fight it every day i mean right. there's, yeah. there's hardly any time goes by at all i don't pay a price for that does that make it did that uh, i mean from what I know, there wasn't a huge comeback for you guys in racing once you got out. Uh, well, that wasn't it, though. I mean, I had a family. I had, you know, I had three children at that point. Yeah. I, and it just, I just didn't want to drag them through the ink. Yeah, yeah. sure. Because, you know, it's just like the, the the election we're having right now. It makes you sick in your stomach. But, you know, I'm a Trump fan. I really... I, I almost pray, I do pray that he wins because I just don't like the other side. But sure. 
It's a movement like that. All the mud that was slung against him and her both. Yeah. I've never seen an election like this in my lifetime. Right. Yeah. And back then, you know, we were going to get slammed no matter what we did. Right. And there was no need to. I re really regret getting out of racing because I, I could, you know, kick anybody's ass at it at the time. And yeah. But I did. I just, uh, then I raced motorcycles and airplanes and different things. But yeah. the car racing, just, it just, it lost its fun to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it I understand that. It just wasn't any fun. I understand that. Even when I went back with the Lola with my brother, Dale, it was great fun driving the car, uh, but the racing had changed a great deal, and it was just, it was not as much fun. Right. Sure. You know, I'd still love to go race Indy again and think I could still beat 99% of those guys up there at any given day. I just haven't pursued it, but, you know, I'm older, but I still think I can still beat those guys. <laughs> right. I really do. Right. Right. When uh, a guy like Scott Tucker gets put away and was going through what he was going through with level five, we, we were just talking about this driving in that, what level five in Scott Tucker's business model was very, very different from from what was going on in the eighties. Um, Who is Scott Tucker? Oh, okay. He oh, okay. Cool. Scott Tucker uh, ran a, a IMSA team called Level Five, uh, and Level Five kind of showed up out of nowhere, spent tons and tons of money, um, and then it turned out like he triple what triple what necessary. a normal IMSA team was spending. I yeah. mean, crazy amounts of money. Um, but he was involved in. Um, what would now be considered a scheme, payday loan schemes. Um, so basically, he was setting up shell companies that were... Kind of like the federal government does. <laughs> <laughs> he, was he, was, he was setting up a consulting business that was doing business with Indian tribes, so therefore they're on their own sovereign territories, and those Indian tribes were creating uh, payday loan companies that were basically targeted at... at wow. Yeah, that were... They were targeted at... at those with without means. In other words, you know, you're you're watching cable TV at midnight, and all of a sudden somebody comes on TV. And says, you need cash fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Call us, and then it turns out, you know, they give you a thousand dollars, and then like you're going to end up paying them ten thousand dollars or twelve thousand back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. crazy yeah. and and very illegal. But the way he was doing it, Got arguably was in a. It was he yeah. found a loophole by doing it through within. You know, I tribes, missed all that. So I don't know where. I, I mean, I read two papers every morning. Yeah, oh, yeah. I read a word about he, that ever. Look yeah. it up. Payday yeah, loans. He, he just recently, within like two or three weeks ago, they they basically said, okay, you owe us like two billion dollars or yeah. something kind of thing. It's yeah. yeah. He's done. Yeah. Um, but the, the 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 consensus between Sean and I was like, we both feel that the things that like yourself or Randy and your brother were all kind of involved with don't equal out to be a person thing whereas basically taking advantage of people in desperation and need on the financial side is you know uh, there's yeah. some differences there i mean yeah. It, yeah it it was illegal at the time and it it shouldn't be today right it's it yeah. just uh, they weren't bad people nobody got hurt there was no right. right you know there was no bad people involved and the mob got involved in about mid or early 80s or so right yeah. and that's when my brother got out of it yeah yeah. It was very simple. It right. became dangerous. Yeah. And, uh, before that, I think it was kind of a sport. That makes sense. Uh, we do a pass-along question yeah. uh, for each guest. So last night we had dinner in St. Augustine with Harley Haywood. And uh, one of the things he wanted to ask was, uh, he said at Daytona, he goes, quote, one of you, Whittington's, Hurley uh, says, you guys were nose to tail dicing at Daytona at 250 miles an hour. He went to whoever was behind me, tried to draft by me into turn one. So I brought him all the way down to the apron so late that I knew it wasn't going to be really scary into turn one. 
and uh, one of you was on the outside and went spinning off into turn one, massively out of control. That was my brother Dale. He lost a wing. Okay. And oddly enough, Bruce Jenner, the wing off the car hit Bruce Jenner, and Bruce totaled his car out. No he way. came over and offered oh. to whip my brother's ass and mother f***ed him to death and everything <laughs> else. I mean, it was ugly. <laughs> right. But Bruce was okay. He was just pissed off at the moment. That was Dale. Yeah. Wing came off the car. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened there. Those cars were so fun. Those cars were so fun to drive, and then they take that back straight away and put that stupid-ass chicane. Yeah. Moretti was the, the source of all that. He was a chicken driver. He really was. i got to tell him that. He's alive today, I think, still. But tell him that. Yeah. He was so chicken that he, didn't, he was afraid of the speed on the back straight away. Well, get out of the effing race car. Yeah. yeah. Go home. But that's why they put that in. He lobbied for that for years. For the bus stop chicane. For the first time I met him, he was lobbying for that. Yeah. A very likable guy. Right. But he just, he was a coward. He was afraid of that speed on the bank. Yeah. You could take your, you could eat a sandwich up there at 200. Right. <laughs> you really could. <laughs> but that's coming from you. And you say. are not phased by speed, it sounds like. Yeah. Can it, going fast, there's no thrill in going fast. It's going around a corner that's fun. <laughs> going fast is not hard. It's going around a corner that makes it fun. I think you are a different breed, my friend, than most, but yeah. I, I totally dig it. You I'm surprised you never got into drag racing because yeah, you would have been like, yeah, let's keep going, whatever. That's where I started racing. <laughs> I, I raced drag racing last time I was 14 years old. Right. I That's like what it. I was doing in Arizona when I was there. That's fine. Did you ever have a nickname or anything? Because, like, Fearless Motherfucker keeps coming <laughs> into my head. <laughs> Wild like, Man uh, Don. Yeah. yeah. I've been called, they used to call me Dino Don back in the drag racing days. But okay. There okay. was a Dino Don on the other side of the world, though. But I had a great fun drag racing. Learned, met all the guys. Was friends with a lot of the guys out there still. Yeah. Yep. You know. We were we always come up for nicknames for guests while we're driving down the road because we're in the car yeah, for like stupid amount capture. of time yeah. so for you we came up with donnie dubs <laughs> so that's that's your uh code name for when we're like all right did you call donnie dubs about dinner yet <laughs> don't call yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't call, call me anything <laughs> not late for dinner though <laughs> all right so um talk up talk about the interest and then maybe i don't know if it's thrilling enough for you or not but it would scare the shit out of me uh racing airplanes in the reno air races that speed you notice because you're pulling a lot of G's yeah. in the corner. I yeah. mean, we raced there a lot. Bill raced there a lot. Um, and it it was really a lot of fun. And still would be, too. There's there's no problem there. The caliber of guys has kind of slipped, I think, the quality of pilots. Because when I got in it, there was a lot of World War II guys. Okay. Bob Hoover wasn't racing, but he was out there all the time and gave us a lot of advice. Became a lifelong friend. He just died two days ago. Oh, that's terrible. But... Um, it is a lot of fun to prepare the airplane and get out there and go around those pylons, you know, 30, 40 feet off the ground at 500 miles an hour. And we were running, we ran, a, the fastest I ever ran there was like 450 miles an hour. But that was a legit. Did you say only like 450 <laughs> miles an hour? <laughs> well, I don't mean it quite that Jesus way. It's pretty Christ. silly because you're pulling four and a half and five Gs yeah, in the no corners. Kidding. Yeah. But, and you're close to the ground, which makes it, you know, and. Because you're close to the ground going around those pylons, you're in quite a bank, and the planes don't really turn like they should. They slip a little bit. They push through the air, so okay. the wings are shorter. So it is, it's really, it's a handful to fly. I mean, it's really, okay. it's, it's, no, thank you. It's very tiring. takes a lot out of you. Great fun, though. Yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's quite an experience. It'll scare the shit out of you if you're not careful. But it's really easy. You don't have an accident there. You just get killed. <laughs> right. You don't limp away from those. I've lost some friends out there. And yeah tough deal here's yeah. the thing i've never understood is from what i just reading your timeline you kind of did all these things at once <laughs> and pretty, pretty much you know and and you know 
whatever led to the funding, you still had to work on that side as well to keep things funded. I don't understand how you were able to manage all just this. Just the time. Yeah, just the time alone. We had, well, we were, I, you know, I know how to work. My brother knows how to work, and dad worked. That, that was live back then. And right. Hell, I went to the air races the first year. It was 1976. Okay. And uh, set a world record out there in 76. Ran 431 miles an hour with an airplane. First one to run that. Yeah. I mean, okay. Okay. So here's the all-encompassing truth about my interest in interviewing you, because I feel like I grew up in an IMSA family. My dad worked with JLP Racing and yeah. Bob Aiken with the Coke 962. Dale so ran with them. Yeah. They so won Sebring, in fact, together. So for me, I've always found the heyday of IMSA very, very just intriguing. Well, it and, and absolutely is intriguing. Yeah. And then never be seen again. Right, exactly. And then on top of that, you have these amazing stories of guys like you and Randy. And this just screams blockbuster movie <laughs> to me. So my goal in life with, with Sean's help, hopefully, is to either tell the true, the true story on everybody's side or a documentary or a blockbuster film so we can all get really rich and that would be great. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't be bad either. Yeah. yeah. Um, who plays you in the movie? Who, oh, I who, have no who, idea. Who, who, do you play yourself? No. <laughs> I'm too old for that. <laughs> Daniel Still Craig. do all those. I don't know that I'm older. Those are the problem, you know. Right. But we've been offered some movie deals in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy we're trying to do one in not long ago. Only to fund it, in fact. But yeah. Um, I have no interest in that. It doesn't do a thing for me. Right. Is that I, wouldn't, I really, I just wouldn't want to waste the time. My time is very dear. Sure, sure. And, you know, you try to live every minute. As you get older, you want to live more of it. Right. Because <coughs> you know your time's limited. Right. Yeah. And uh, Is that a... I just don't give a shit about that. <laughs> okay. I really don't. <laughs> I it just doesn't do anything for me. I love is it. That a, is that a family thing that you don't want that kind of story out there? No. Or is just you just it, don't no, want to spend a waste of time I don't on care it. about that. That thing has beat me up so much for that and yeah. the good stuff they forget about. Right. Yeah. And all the good that you do during your life. But... Um, I it just doesn't do anything for me. Right. I drive a van. I mean, I drive. Oh a yeah, yeah. We, hey, so I, do we. Yeah, yeah we, we pulled up right next to him. I, I, oh, I almost hit my door into him. And I was yeah. like, oh shit! I hope that guy's not mad. And I looked, and you're like, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, I think that's Don. <laughs> yeah, I've driven a van for last thirty some years. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't drive a hot rod on the street or anything. Right. I mean, I race motorcycles. You know, twenty right. thirty twenty some races a year. I didn't run 20 this year. I think I only ran like 18 races this year, but right. I'll run more next year. Yeah. So I still, you know, pretty active about doing things going right. fast. Yeah. Still pretty handy at it. Well, that's, that's the crazy thing. I mean, you, you know, you got out almost, almost, I think, 20 years ago, yeah, right? And so it's been plenty of time, and yet it's still people won't shut the f up about it. Nah, they don't. They have, they have some are bored. They don't have a life, so they like right. to talk about that stuff. Well, right. I, I think we're guilty too. But it's for me. I, f I have this like personal interest in it because I heard the stories growing up, and never in a because my dad literally worked for John Paul, who ended up shooting an undercover DEA agent. You know, so it's like I never knew I, that I, guy was an agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew him too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like <laughs> stories like that, like were burned into my brain at a very young I'll age, and never in a negative way either. Just in like, oh, this is how it all went, and here's what the thing was. And so, my like small, like racing is obviously my career, but like Sean and I talk about this a lot. Is I really somehow want to tell that story in a realistic way. Well, I think um, I think it I think it's something that should be told at some point. It's in history, time. you know. And it's history, and yeah. somebody will step up and do it. It's just I don't have time for it, but I think somebody should do that. I really do. That that whole element, the racing was superb. Yeah, 
The Phenomenal. car, the car were eighty thousand dollars, brand new, and you can start them and take That's it to the so racetrack crazy. at nine thirty-five with so eighty grand. So crazy. We paid fifteen thousand for the first nine thirty-four, and we only paid twenty thousand to Holbert for his. Right. If you adjusted that to today's number, it still wouldn't add up anywhere close to what a modern oh. prototype yeah. runs for. Right. So that right. Lolo I bought, I paid four hundred and some thousand dollars for the chassis. Yeah, that, like and it wasn't very ago. good. <laughs> <laughs> now they're out of business. Well, they deserve to be. They, they <laughs> built a shitty car. I mean, it's just a shame that they'll yeah. never be. But the series did it to themselves. When Bishop started filling in one of the prototypes, that was the end of IMSA. Okay. Because they never could recover. I mean, they have a hell of a show still. So along, along your career of many different types of racing whether it be airplanes bikes or cars who were the guys that you looked up to when you were first getting into it and maybe even raced against because we we looked up a video of you racing irock yeah i run some irock stuff and the field was like ridiculous it was it's i like mean we had everybody yeah, yes mario, mario andretti's clay regazzoni yeah mario was a, mario's still a cool guy yeah yeah we looked up to him Floyd, rutherford yeah uh the answers uh mirrors those guys were our heroes, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely were. Yeah, and and even Peter Gregg. Right. And some of those Dempsey guys were just just a side drivers. So we watched guys. we watched this IROC video, and it's on an oval, and it's in an old. I think it's just a, Cam a Camaro, you know, probably at, probably Atlanta. Uh, yeah, it could have been. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you you had a crash. There's like ten crashes or whatever. But you're <laughs> there's two two parts of this. One, we're watching this, and it's like, well, here's the guy that did run some ovals and a little bit of NASCAR. But you're racing against you know Mario Andretti on an oval, and but looks almost like a street car. Y y you know, I'm sure they, they were, were they were up. tube chassis cars. Yeah. And the guy that was in charge of all that was uh, uh, Leo, not Leo Mel. He was Goodyear, but the guy that uh, Les Richter from okay. Riverside. He yeah. was the one in charge of all those cars. So. They got they, when they brought me in, I got to practice a lot and I'd help set up the cars and stuff in, like right. Atlanta. Yeah. But the reason I w the reason I probably didn't go out in the first lap is I found a plug at the start of the race and fell back. Okay. Mario made a stupid move in turn one and crashed everybody. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah we saw that. Total the field. Yeah. Out. <laughs> so then I'm trying to catch up, so I had plenty of time to catch up, but I lost it coming off turn four because I tried to run four flat to catch up, and I did because I could do it in practice. But then when I came off four. The car got loose, and I started chasing that bitch, and I hit that interior wall yeah. a ton. Yeah, yeah. it looked hard. Yeah, you could see my neck stretching in that deal. Right. Uh, oh, Jackie Stewart that's the best is part. doing the commentary, and he act this would never happen today, but he actually oh. says, oh, God, I think his head hit the steering wheel. Oh, he hit everything. And then, and then the was, and there's Don Whittington slumped over. Oh, yeah, they he would slumped never over say the, that on yeah, television. Yeah, he slumped today. over the wheel. <laughs> doesn't look good. I was <laughs> like, what? Oh, that hurt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that would never happen today. Car is real stiff too. Massive, massive impact. Yeah, I um, chased it all the way down the straight over like a fool. I should have just spun it and hit the wall lightly. Yeah, you know, I thought I could drive out of it. It was out there, and I, you know, I, and it just it did it once, it did it twice, and I was kaput. Right, oh, right. Oh, oh. I think I already know the answer, but in a in a race like that, when it's Mario Andretti and you know Clay Regazzoni and you know Buddy Baker, it's just this crazy mix of group. Did you ever look and go, holy? Shit, and get a little starstruck? Nah. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> I just wanted to beat him. Yeah, 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 absolutely. My brother's the same way. Yeah. Mario would walk by the pits every day in Indy, and we were considerably faster than he was. I mean, and he hated it. <laughs> I believe it. And no. he'd walk by and Bill was, hey, little big man, how you doing? 
And Bill gave him <laughs> all day long. But Mario was a good friend, and Bill, right. real tight with Bill, too. Yeah. He came over and talked every day. But, you know, <laughs> one of the mo most rewarding things you can have in racing is when you're fast at Indy, and they all hate it. Yeah. And Roger Pinsky will bring a six-pack of beer to your pits, your garage at night, thinking you've already left to talk to your crew guys. Uh, that's oh, that's no when you know you've done good at Indy. Yeah. And yeah. that's what Pinsky did. He so brought a six-pack of beer at night to talk to the crew. To talk shop and see what he could figure out. Oh, yeah. No, he, he never quits. That man, that's why he's won it more than anybody will ever win it. Yeah. Right. And the next guy will be the guy from Arizona running the prototype cars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you ought to go interview him. He's a good guy. He raced cars, too. Uh, the guy that ran the GT40s at Le Mans this year that runs a NASCAR and Indy cars. And oh, Ganassi. G Ganassi? Uh, yeah, Chip yeah, Ganassi. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Raced, he, yeah. he raced back then, too. Yeah. Yeah, I told him. <laughs> he told he had a big party. He has a big party every year in Scottsdale. Uh huh. From her, uh, the Linda girl, the Hertz girl, Linda Vaughn, Linda Vaughn, yeah. and everybody up and down the way. They all go to dinner. Yes. They have a time life. My brother was there, been there a couple of years, and he's good, real good friends with Chip too. And Chip was telling the story when I told Chip the last. I told Chip I was gonna break his <laughs> legs. <laughs> he still tells the story. He told me that the other day. He stopped in the hangar here. See, the thing is, what I didn't mean it at the time. Chip. <laughs> he ran into the back of me at Pocono. Okay. Told my car out at Pocono under a yellow. Right. And I got out of the car so mad I could. I, I told him that. I said I probably said it. Chip, I want to break your effing legs. <laughs> I said, but I didn't do it. So, you know, it's okay. I forgive you. Well, it, it, I like this because it, in my head, like, you know, at that point, you know, you guys had a reputation. And if you're sitting there saying, I'm going to break your legs, there's probably a side of him that's like, oh, sh he's going to break my legs. He's like, pretty mad you, right now. I could have at you the time. That? Yeah. When you get out of a race car, you say the dumbest <laughs> on earth <laughs> because you're not thinking anything at the time. You, right. the track. you get out, and the first thing that bounces through your brain is, it's so violence. off the wall. Yeah, <laughs> I could say anything when I get over a race car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but I have before. But yeah. I, I have a feeling it carried more weight coming from you guys. But did you ever use that to your advantage? Nah. You know, no. like, oh, oh Chip, we can get this guy. Oh, and no. like, right. We weren't bad people. Bill wasn't. No, it was all it was all fun. And, yeah, no, it just, it was just, don't, don't all those other some bitches did it. You don't think Floyd <laughs> fought, Hunter oh, yeah. fought, yeah. Buddy yeah, yeah. Baker, Alice, all those guys, all the Cuff, fist and cuff all the time. Yeah. Downey Allison used to fight all the time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey, it, it's all, there's no weak people out there racing yeah, yeah. cars. I mean, in, or any of that stuff. They're all pretty strong people, and they they want to be heard. you got to be pretty passionate to yeah, do that. Yeah, you better. And, yeah, and you get your ass. <laughs> Who is the easiest guy to rattle? Well, Foyt was the best at trying to rattle people. Yeah, right. For sure. But was that an offense for a weak defense? No, oh, he was a little bit. He loves. He just loves to give people. And to that. this day, he still does. Loves it. <laughs> he he put a. He went to the trouble to go to the store and buy some TNT, explosive, looking stuff with an alarm clock and a fuse and everything <laughs> on it, and put it in my race car one day at Indy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you're like, that's not what endless. it looks like. And Buddy Baker, oh. Buddy Baker came up one day and gave me a bunch of because I had bought a race car from Foyt to run Atlanta with. Right. And Buddy came up during the, just before the start of the race and said, you know, that's really, that's really a bad sign to have the guy's name on the car that you're driving and somebody else on there yeah. Foyt. That's a very bad old. I mean, he was trying to, you know. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was like funny. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> who cares? Yeah, whatever. Man. Oh, I think racers, you know, they – Everybody has their bad traits and good traits, but they the racers, they want to race. They're out there to race. And most of all those guys, 
went through the rank and file. Today, the rank and file is through the go-karts yeah. and stuff because they can't get experience any other way. And honest to goodness, I, I drove my son's shifter cart some. I've never driven anything more horrifying in my life than a shifter cart. They're yes, as hell. They're yeah, the yeah. hardest things on earth. I got out and I couldn't breathe for two days. Yeah, yeah. right, right. They and are you know, hard to drive. They're brutal. They're impossible to race. I mean, if those guys are so good when they get out of those cars, yeah. it's scary. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, and look at F1. There's not an F1 driver in the world that hadn't dr didn't start in those cars. Yeah. Right. So you've come across a lot of drivers in your time. Um, I'm sure you've heard all the stories. Probably, probably familiar with the story of Johnny O'Connell trying to murder in Dario Franchitti in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't even go there. Yeah, everybody knows that story. Uh, it's just an old old dirt thing. And then, you know, whether it's factual or not, I've never figured it out. Yeah, well, he's still alive, so he's fine. Really? Uh, were you single during the heyday? Got married just about the same time. Okay. I went, uh, um, married, yeah, I'm on the spot already. Well, no, no, no. Married yeah, in 79. We just had our, you know, right at not quite 40, but okay. I just got married at in 79. Okay, so we'll we'll uh, exonerate you from so the question. One of the first races you went to was Le Mans. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> all right. I was supposed to be that way all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> about to say, you, was that, she, uh, she's how'd that work after, like, when you went from Le Mans to, like, the next race at, like, Louisiana? Lime Rock. Yeah, Lime yeah. Rock. <laughs> like, did, did you set the bar too high at that point and then she Probably wasn't impressed? Probably so, but, <laughs> you know, Paul Newman was hanging around constantly then, too, and he, yeah. he, he was a great friend, too. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, did she? We, we met everybody, but She's still a true. She pits for me in the pits and during the race in the motorcycles. Still today. That's, yeah. great. That's, That's great. awesome. She holds a gas can. I come in, I'm, you know, hot and nasty and tired and filthy, dirty and got to get gas. Some of the hair scrambles, you you got to buy get some fuel, you know. Right. For, and she does that. She does all the time. And she does. She's right. She's going to Baja with us, too. Wow. She's 40 a real trooper. Yeah. And she stuck with you through all the nonsense oh, yeah. and all that. Yeah, no issues at all there. So. Good girl. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Okay. Well, so who had the... Uh, Yourself excluded. <laughs> who had the best game during that time? Who, 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 who was the best Bill with the girl? Uh, no, no, just oh, in the wow. paddock. Sounds oh, like a sure. two-man okay. game. Yeah, who, between you and Bill, who was who was better with the ladies? It went. Oh, we we were never that type of guy. You weren't those. Okay, okay oh, so no. okay. in the paddock. In the paddock. That's what I was wondering. Where, was yeah, like keeping your name out. The what? Well, there's a lot to look at in the paddocks, I must say. And sure. And I was allowed to look, but, uh, <laughs> it, but uh, which which guy in the paddock uh, was could could make we work. really weren't too interested in that we wanted okay. to race yeah okay. and it just all goes back to that i mean okay. we'd show up i mean we were rude to people sometimes we wanted to go back and race we didn't we want to get the car right and make it you yeah. know we wanted to win and be on the pole and that's just if you can be on the pole right you know you, you probably couldn't win right you right you're gonna get out ran so right there were some great sites I, I think my wife and my brother's wife named them pit lizards yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that still a sticky on. name. Still that still They're still out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, They're you guys got to run with Klaus Ludwig, Hurley Haywood. Who was the ultimate teammate that you got to drive with? Klaus was, Klaus was really, really good. Yeah, and he was. He, at the time, was winning the championship in Europe and wanted more after that. And yeah, Hurley was good too. Um, Klaus was a little better mechanically. Hurley. Tafe was pusher this or that, but that it stopped about there. But Klaus was a little better than that. Yeah, and I think he was more of a technician guy. Phil Pauli was real good, but he 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 was good, great in some ways. And uh, but everybody had their strong points about the car, yeah. the tires, the chassis. Everybody knew something about you know a little bit of something. Mm -hmm. We tried to learn everything. And Bill and I, we spot we sparred off each other because we could go out at Indy with two identical cars and one go a little faster, you know, and then we'd talk about it and then 
go faster. And then we got, we would tell each other the truth. Right. I ran with a team up there, and the guys wouldn't. I mean, they would wouldn't give you, you know, wouldn't give you the time of day. Teammates, and that's something that Pinsky would not tolerate. You know, you had, I didn't drive for Roger, but he was really strict with his guys to share information. They still wouldn't share information because yeah. they were afraid of each other. Where Bill and I weren't. I didn't <coughs> give a shit if he won or I won, right. or he was in front of me or back. But that that's one reason we got faster, quicker. And, and IMSA cars the same way. Yeah. You, when you're talking to somebody and you can relate to them and they're telling you the truth, you can get better quick. Right. Well, that's probably one of the advantages of driving with your brother because oh there's yeah. no bull No, that's you know. right. Yeah. And Klaus was that way too. Yeah. And Hurley was that way. Hurley was a great driver. Good so you, you guys never had any of that, like, switching the brake bias as you get out of the <laughs> car. <laughs> and, yeah. you know. we, would, you know, we just wanted to go fast. Yeah. So on the same kind of questioning, uh, you got to drive awesome cars. The 935 K3 is one of the most iconic sports cars of all time. You guys were able to win at Le Mans uh, overall in it. And you also got to drive the March. And, and later on, uh, you guys had 962s at some point? No, or? no. Just the Lola was the last sorry, uh, yes. sports car that yeah. I had. And then crazy Indy cars that were going stupid fast with aerodynamics that were probably still very <laughs> unf unrefined, I'd say. They were very dirty cars. Yeah. I mean, they had no top speed at all. Right. I, I ran 15 at Indy, and I think I was only running 21 down the straightaway. Right. Wow. So what was the, the <laughs> greatest car you got to race in? I think Indy was probably the, I mean, the greatest car I ever ran was a 935 Porsche. Okay. Hands down, no contest. There'll never be a better car. Yeah. To this day, nothing better. Um, Andy was more of a challenge because there was so much aerodynamic stuff that you could do to the car to make it go faster. So you're all the time just a little something. I drove 1,800 miles in Indianapolis the year I finished fifth during practice, and I ran the same engine the whole month. Yeah. I wow. only had one engine. I put 1,800 miles or 1,700 miles on a Cosworth, which is unheard of. Right. Wow. But I was the first one on the track every day and the last one off every day. Yeah. And that, that's why I had a car that could have won. Yeah. And uh, but it, it's a lot of fun to go up there and, you know, change a wicker bill and go two miles an hour faster. Yeah, yeah no kidding. But anything you do to the back, you got to do something to the front. It's yeah. not a one sided deal. So you're all the time you're trying to get it to push, but not too much. You know, you get a little oversteer. But so you're just fighting it the whole. But it's great fun. It's yeah. just a battle between you and the car all day yeah. long. Right. Right. And we had Keith, Lut uh, Keith Layton was our crew chief up there. Brilliant guy from Le from England, been around everything his whole life. Wonderful fabricator, welder. You know, so I could think of something he could do. We did things that they still hadn't figured out we did up there with that with those cars. And I made them wider. I made them longer. I changed suspension. I mean, we did a lot of stuff with a duck and they able to go fast. And then you go faster is less drag. But we couldn't pick up much top speed, but we could pick up a little more downforce by cleaning up. They just wouldn't go down the straight. They were so dirty. They wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were slow. Today, you know, they run 235 or 240. I mean, they're 10 or 15 miles an hour faster than lap times. Yeah. So. Back to our uh, pass along. So you answered Hurley's question. Um, and the, our next guest is actually Randy Lanier. Uh, we're going to go up and meet with him in an hour. Good. Um, so if you had one question you could ask to Randy, and it doesn't have to be racing related. It can be random. What well, our relationship is only relation, you know, ra racing related sure he did a real good job bill taught him bill brought him around and taught him how to drive a race car and he's really good uh, he got real good quick they won the championship kip 
kicked all the factory's asses with that March and a Chevrolet engine in it. Yeah. It was great. I mean, I really don't, I mean, I just hope that he keeps doing it like he's doing it. He's out yeah. racing, trying to do things and doing it great. But I don't have, I wouldn't have one question for anybody, really. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't think of, sure. I mean, Hurley, yeah, but I don't have, I wouldn't. No it might be long. No I mean, one thing. We would talk maybe about one of the cars of the year or something and yeah. different things like that. But, nah, I. No pass along question. I, I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> I love this man. I just like. He's like, ah, eh, whatever. I want to go fast. Yeah. I hear you, man. I want to go fast around the corners, you I know. Hear you. And okay. a motorcycle, you learn how to read the dirt out of a corner. Yeah. You just, it, you know, all the stuff is good. You learn different things. What yep. kind of motorcycle racing are we talking? O- off-road racing, uh, enduro racing. Okay, so like scrambles hair and scramble. things like that? I run yeah, hair yeah. scrambles, but I do Florida trail riders. I run those with the Florida trail riders okay. three or four a year. And then the regular season, I race in Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona. Sure. The br- different parts of the country. Right. With the Rocky Mountain Enduro Circuit. It's a series I run out there. It, we run a KTM motorcycle. It's a 300cc two-stroke. I mm-hmm. only run two strokes. I hate the four strokes. They're too hard to work on. I do my own engine work. And oh, cool. So you're going to Baja? Uh, Absolutely. Down here. Can't wait. I'm that's going next. Uh, so I'm you're doing your run pre-run in a couple days. Seventh, okay. eighth, and ninth. I'm going down there and try to run three days. I'm going to try. I'm going to probably run the night shift. Start Jeez. late in the race. And, and you're how old? I, you know, 70 years old. I have and doing steps. the night shift at goddamn Baja. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Why Christ. Not? I'm a great night driver. Not as good as anybody. <laughs> but we won't get done. We're going to start at about 10 in the morning. Yeah. Well, probably 10.45 or so, the way the thing's scheduled. Yeah. And it'll t- if, we, if we, if the car runs all day, we should be able to get it at 22 hours of winning is what won it last year and 22 hours in our class of car. So we, we'll probably, I'll probably get in the car seven eight o'clock at night six o'clock at night or something like that or no maybe a little early it'll take about four hours to finish up that last section of the race yeah probably run 200 200 miles give or take something like that with three guys <laughs> maybe a little more <laughs> but it, so i'm going to go try i'm going to yeah. go out and try to run that in the daytime a couple of times and try to run it at least three times at night that 200 miles right to try to learn the wow. where the rocks are and stuff yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. i have right. a feeling there's never going to be a point in your life where you say i'm too old for this well, I still beat the young guys. I mean, I yeah. beat all the kids in the motorcycle racing in the uh, C <laughs> class. So, how many people are showing up to, to run in your class on that? Well, in my class, in the we have a, a sixty and a sixty-six year old. <coughs> I run the sixty-year-old class, and there'll be fifteen or twenty guys. Okay. And sometimes there's not as many, but then I I I still run open C. Yeah. With the overall C riders, and I win it once or twice a year, and I I finished fifth this year in the open C yeah. with all the kids. <laughs> yeah. So I beat. 180 kids. Uh, are you just talking the whole time like you punch? Oh, I never talk it up. No, no. I you just don't talk to them at all. No, I, I'm buddies <laughs> with a lot of those pro racers and stuff. We yeah. sponsored a pro uh, motocross guy, or pro enduro guy named oh, cool. Ian Blythe. Okay. He's racing down in a South America now and back up here. That's a World Jet sponsorship. Yeah. Oh, World cool. Jet cool. sponsors, okay. and yeah, we've helped a lot other people. And uh, but I, I've met a lot of guys in that series in the last seven years that I ran it. Right. A lot of great friends and yeah. yeah. Yeah, they'll they normally have uh, open seal have a hundred guys in it, hundred twenty five guys yeah, normally, right. something like that. That's they'll cool. normally have two to f- two to four hundred racers. Right. The National Enduro Series, I didn't run many of those. I ran none of those this year, but that they limit that to around five hundred <laughs> bikes of the different classes. Yeah. Only, yeah, yeah only no, five hundred bikes. Jam packed. I mean, Jesus. the course gets really worn out. I've been thinking about doing uh, scrambles. I'm okay on a bike. I'm I'm better on a quad. And I know they do some quad ones. Oh yeah. What what what's the budget for that? Like what what's a weekend 
to go, let's say it's a local thing here. You don't have to have a hotel or drive too far. What, what are you spending for the Hotel's weekend? Hotel's the most money you spend. Right, right yeah. Wow. Because, like, the entry fees for those things aren't crazy, you pay right? pay seven grand for a motorcycle that can win. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you can run the, the balls off of it for a couple of years and put a couple of pistons in it. I go through a couple of pistons a year. And it'll bring five grand two or three years from You're now. Right. 4500 wow. wow. Now, you know, tires are, the good deal on tires is about 40 bucks a piece. They cost a hundred retail. They're just, they don't break. Yeah. I mean, you can rotate the tires, get, you can run almost a season on a tire. I change tires pretty regularly though, but still there's the gas to get up there in the hotel is more than you'll spend on anything else. Yeah. The entry fee is normally 50 bucks. Oh, that's great. Greatest race on earth. Yeah. What's the name of the guy you sponsor? Uh, Ian Blythe. And where he races? You said he races South America? He's running South America series down there and he won it for the second year in a row. And he also went to our, gold medal deals is six day trials in Europe. Okay. That's the, the highest you can do in our racing and he's he won over there last year too right. and finished well. What's the South American scene like? It's some of the same terrain as South Florida except with okay. mountains in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's cool terrain down there. He's ran it. They paid him now two or three years in a row to go do that. Oh wow. Do you do any racing down there? No I haven't gone down there. I'd like to run the Dakars down there oh, now but yeah. Yeah. it just it the entry the entry is forty grand, and it's just—it's probably just too damn much work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. just too many right. days. You're down there for a week or two weeks, yeah. and it'd be a lot of work. The enduros are great fun to race. So, when we talked uh, <laughs> yesterday, um, you were going to be in Jacksonville. You never know where you're going to be. What's your travel schedule like right now? Well, like tomorrow morning, I've got to be up in Daytona. I didn't go there yesterday, so I'm going up tomorrow okay. to look at something, and then I'll go to Arizona. I don't travel as much as I used to. You're not really the man of the I'll world. I'll race 20 so sometimes a year, okay. something like that. Right. Now, is you, do you only travel for racing? I mean, is the wife like forcing no, you to we, take a trip to Paris? We don't go places. We travel for racing mostly. We okay. go to Colorado. And I want to spend more time in Colorado in the future. We, we had do. no f clue how beautiful it is out there. Yeah. Until we went <laughs> it's through. so nice. We yeah. drove from Salt Lake through through Aspen up oh, to Denver yeah. and then over to Nebraska. And Insane. I was yeah. the whole time, because he was having to like schedule things on the computer, and I was driving. I'm like, look up. Look up. Like look around. You got to. Yeah. I'll yeah. give you a different route to go back, oh, and cool. it's even prettier yet. Really, it, it's unbelievable. So, you know, working with the equipment out there and building a dam or d building a road or changing mountainside, it's it's great fun yeah. to do. I mean, yeah. it's so much fun. I I don't like to travel that much. I mean, I sure. like going. I don't like traveling to the races. I like to race, but I don't like traveling. Yeah, sure. it's sure. a pain in the See, ass. So you don't want to be the number three on the road trip podcast <laughs> tour? <laughs> no, no. You saw what the van looked like. <laughs> Your van looked like mine. I was proud of you. You don't get <laughs> playing everywhere. You're pigs. <laughs> we are terrible. <laughs> the funny thing I is, I knew it was like you right away. I looked in that thing. I saw that <laughs> laying there. Oh, that's got to be these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, uh, as we're unloading, I opened the side door to get my backpack, and I said, uh, Jesus, the back of this van is disgusting. <laughs> and he goes, the back? <laughs> I was like, yeah, worse. fair enough, fair enough. I take my dog with me. I got three dogs. I take the dog, my big dog, with me all yeah. the time in the back. And, you know, she weighs 200 pounds. Yeah. And she makes a mess. And there's hair everywhere. People get, I have to clean it every Monday. It's yeah. like Sean. <laughs> That's my yeah. yeah, Sean's my yeah. big dog. That's, that's my, <laughs> my once-a-week shower. You're like, uh, you remind me of the, the pair that do uh, – uh, oh gosh, they're on TV all the shopping. They go picking around the country. Oh no! Oh, uh, American Pickers. American Pickers. Okay, cool. I thought you were going to say Gas Monkey Garage. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Like, oh, oh, those guys. God I don't watch it. any of those shows. Yeah, <laughs> I watch. I watch a lot of the shows where they build the cars. And yeah. Okay. The best ones, guys out of Salt Lake City, and they have the best. They have the, they build the best cars of any of those people. Okay. But not sure who that is. Now the. Uh, yeah, we are. We're American Pickers, but yeah. instead of like getting cool antiques, we're making. 
podcast about racing. Yeah. Hey, you got to do it. You can't do it in a plane. You got to carry your stuff. And hey, good holy oh, shit, yeah. you understand you this? Yeah. yeah. Like, like I, all day today, people are like on Twitter. They're like, "Why don't you guys just fly?" It's oh, like, you can't. We can't. Well, I can't. Like, I can't. I mean, when I go on an airplane, I have to do about strip search myself because I always carry a knife, a small knife. Yeah. Right. And I have. I've lost so many of those at the airport. It doesn't matter. And I get. <laughs> right. You know, right. I get preferred. You know, I get the clearance. Or, but, but still. Yeah, it's painless. It really is, but yeah. you can't carry anything. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I got a couple of phones and this and that. I leave them. I put them in my bag. I mean, I you know, and then you worry about it getting sti- stolen. Right. I got my GoPro and my batteries and stuff. I worry about too, and I leave all my gear in Colorado. So, but I still have to take a bag that big for my yeah. that you carry. Yeah. Well, and for us, the, the schedule's changing by the minute as oh, far sure as this is. guest yeah. changes, this yeah. guest moves yeah. around. Yeah. We can't book flights. So. Go Unless Worldjet wants to fly us everywhere, we would right. take a Worldjet sponsorship. You know, we would, we'll, uh, we'll we take that sponsorship. That, yeah. <laughs> Obama's made that pretty impossible for everybody in the world. Yeah, <laughs> he's killed yeah. aviation more than yeah. anybody ever has. What's so? What is security like right now at a place it's, like Worldjet? It, like, is it the same process? No, no, we have none of that. Oh, that's awesome. No, okay. none of that. Okay. Is that one of the advantages? They gated. Yeah, they gated all the airports or fenced all the airports a few years ago. Okay, but. We don't have any commercial traffic at our airport, so right. it's, it's a much laid, much more laid-back airport. Right. They have security that drives around, but you know, there's no, there's, there's gates you have to go in and stop to right. let the gate close. That's it, though. Mm-hmm. It's open, and so, uh, so we never have any trouble. If we're podcast producers and yeah. we want to, f- and we want to, this is never going to happen <laughs> I, unless Continental decides they're we're the best thing in the world. Right. But or we get a Honda jet. Or we get a there Honda jet. Go. Yeah. And <laughs> so when Honda gives us their jet, like we can fly in. We're not going through metal detectors. Oh, we're no, not having to check all. anything through TSA. I mean, how you know how can a guy get in an air, a commercial airplane and go make three or four stops in a day and do business? You just can't do right. it. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, can Can you fly international into into World, yeah. World Jet? Yeah. Oh, that's good. We awesome. have customers right at the airport. Okay. Yeah. And they literally just come it, on and land okay. at that airport. Clear customers. Go right. to any of the operators yeah. on the field. I get the impression you're a guy that could give two shits, but what do you want the kind of the the Don Whittington legacy to be when the time comes that you're done racing? I don't have one. Yeah. Nah. I just like to, I just like to drive race cars. Yeah. 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 Or a plane or any of that stuff. It just going around corners are so it's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's the fun of my life. Yeah. yeah. Going around corners. That's all there is to it. Yeah. I mean the kids and family and all are wonderful, but anything you can do that's mechanical, it, going around a corner is fun. Going straight line speed doesn't do it for you. Doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> I yeah. I've ran fast. I, and I've, you know, doesn't do shit for me. Yeah. Fair enough. I would like to go to Bonneville, though, before I get yeah, done with it. Yeah, okay. do yeah. a couple of cars. That'd be cool. What would be the record But that'd probably for? be quick, too. I mean, it's, you're not there long. But yeah. Uh, what what record would you want to hit? Oh, I, I think it'd be more the vehicle I would do it in than right. an overall record. I mean, man, I'd, I'd pick something I could probably build myself and yeah. take out there. Yeah. Some class I could do something. It might only be a couple hundred miles an hour. It might be 50. It might be 300. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Who knows? But uh, that's a that's a, an awesome place to go to. Yeah. Oh we, my God. We yeah. drove kind oh. of, but we drove by a sign. Yeah. yeah. We, we saw a sign, but we didn't actually go there. Yeah. yeah. That that airport right there where they start all that stuff. That that airport uh, is pretty high up. It's a good place to set a land spe- or a, a speed record in an airplane. Right. Buddy yeah. might tried that once there. It's a good place. Cool. Well, I think on that note, Continental's got the check. Meow. Wow, that was such a great episode. That guest really knew how to tell a story. Well, good, Ryan. I'm glad you approve of uh, Donnie Dubs. 
You're welcome, Sean. I'm right here. All right. Thank you to John Whittington for, uh, man, coming out and meeting us. That's sort of not really something he does, but uh, he, he was super cool to hang out with and, and gave us the time. So how much more can you ask? Now, if you enjoyed that episode, we highly, highly recommend you uh, listen to the next one in the series with uh, Randy Lanier. Randy uh, is an awesome storyteller and a super cool guy. Had a little bit of a, actually a lot of bit of a tech issue that hopefully you can uh, sort of get past when you listen. It, it breaks our heart how uh, we had a, a tech issue with it, but uh, it's, a, it's a good episode nonetheless. So highly recommend you check out Randy, but in any case... Thanks to Don. We're going to close out with a, uh, a band that Ryan is a big fan of. It's called uh, Richard Scherfe and uh, All God's Children. Uh, this is a song called Rosalie. Or is it Rosalie? Rosalie? Uh, it's on Spotify. Check it out. Pretty Rose.